Today, pop goes my budget. Hello again, it's Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics, well known as Post, covering finance and property news. Our latest surveys to the end of February reveals the current state of household finances in Australia, as measured by cash flow. A record 73.3% of those living in the rental sector are under pressure, while just over half of those with a mortgage are also in net negative cash flow. All up, around 48% of households, or 4.7 million families, are struggling. The causes are clear to see, with the cost of living still outstripping real incomes, high mortgage interest rates thanks to RBA monetary policy, and rental costs are driven sky high. Massive net migration and bad government housing policies have created this disaster, which will likely be with us for decades. Housing affordability is shot. So, in today's show, I'm going to walk through the latest findings from our surveys, ahead of a live show during which we're going to examine the data at a postcode level. That show will be on Tuesday the 12th of March 2024. But in today's show, we're going to examine how we measure cash flow stress, examine the latest results across mortgage, rental, investor and overall financial stress, and also look at our price scenarios for the months ahead, alongside our estimates of mortgage defaults in the next 12 months. Now, a good place to start is that house prices gather steam as buyer sentiment improves. And of course, the CoreLogic data for February showed that in many places prices went up, although there was a drop in Hobart and the movement in Melbourne was very small indeed. But the real debate was what's going to happen to interest rates ahead because CoreLogic said that the last year's rate hikes clearly into capital gains, but higher interest rates haven't been enough to extinguish growth entirely. That's because of the supply-demand disequilibrium. But the fact of the matter is that even though interest rates could fall this year, CoreLogic's not expecting a rapid interest rate cutting cycle. It's going to be very gradual, and it will take some time to get back to pre-pandemic levels. And that is the problem. Household stress has been building for a long time and it's not going to ease any time soon. And as Shane Wright put it, house values have climbed in parts of Australia by almost 30% over the past year, despite interest rate and cost of living pressures. But consumers are continuing to struggle as they cut the number of goods and services they buy. The truth is that lenders are generally cautious towards borrowers with high debt-to-income or loan-to-income ratios, and it's hard to see a material lift in housing values until interest rates come down significantly. And perhaps the data most recently, relating specifically to spending and also inflation, could suggest that the next movement is likely to be down, but the expectation, I think, is that those moves will not happen for some time yet. And by the way, it's also worth highlighting that the idea of moving into an apartment first as a stepping stone to buying a house is actually being called into question by high house prices and the lacklustre capital gains for units. Perhaps the only option may be to buy a unit because house prices are way too high. But the fact of the matter is that it is very difficult because unit performance is pretty weak. 
And it's interesting that Mervac said they are going to allocate a smaller proportion of apartments for first home buyers, but a large chunk of the new builds will be larger products to cater for owner occupiers. In other words, what they're doing is looking very much towards the trading up sector rather than the first time buyers. So put all this together and you can see that things are not all well in the property market. So what's going on with regard to household budgets and their finances? That's, of course, where our surveys come in. And for those of you who have not seen this before, I'm just going to explain briefly how we obtain the results that we discuss in the show here. So this is a quick diagram of our approach. We survey households on a rolling basis, 52,000 in the survey at any one time, and we get that data back at the end of each month and roll the analysis into our core market model. We can slice and dice the data lots of different ways, and that allows us to form a view of what's going on, but also overlay some scenarios as to what might happen next with regard to home prices. Now, the core market model powers our home price scenarios, and that means we look at mortgage stress, the price trajectory and the history of what's going on in a particular area, the buying and selling intentions, the migration data, the economic data. All of that goes into the core market model through our scenarios. And then we can look at information at a rolled up level, or Australia, state, region, or down to a postcode level. And it also gives us a view then of where prices may move over the next two or three years. And by the way, we do still provide a one-to-one -one service. If you want a conversation about a particular suburb, you can do that via our one-to-one. -one. This isn't specific financial advice, but I can discuss our data for a given postcode and look at the underlying trends. And I can look at stress, home price trend data, and also attract a view of price trends ahead based on my modeling. The conversation normally takes about an hour via Zoom or phone. And there is a cost involved because there's a lot of work behind the scenes to make this happen. But if you're interested, you can contact me via the blog. I'm booking about three to five weeks ahead at the moment simply because of the high demand for this service. Now, let's move on and talk specifically about stress and the definition of stress. So there are many different definitions out there from 30% of income, perhaps taxable income, through to underwriting metrics. But we define stress in cash flow terms, money in money out. If households have more outgoings, and I exclude one-off discretionary items and income, we define them as stressed. If they have the mortgage, then they're in mortgage stress. If renting, they're in their rental stress. Investors with cash flow pressures are identified as stressed investors, and we can aggregate the data to estimate total financial stress. And we can express this as a percentage of households or account. And because of the law of big numbers, the latter is best measured in our view rather than the percentage. Now, I made a show the other day called Another Confirmation of More Mortgage Stress, and this is where Roy Morgan reported more recently on rising mortgage stress based on their particular metrics. And just to be clear, this is the RBA's view of how to think about the spectrum of household financial stress. At the mild end, you've got budgetary pressures, that's cash flow, money in, money out. That moves over to the missing payments and ultimately to insolvency and default. So, I am measuring this at the mild end of the hopper. The reason this is important is because it all starts from budget pressures. Too many things to be spent and not enough money coming in to cover them all. And of course, households tend to cover 
their mortgage or rental payments and of other things, one of the reasons why the retail sector is weak at the moment. So in terms of the mortgage stress data for February, if we look at it, first of all, for rental stress, we can see there that 73.68% of those renting are in rental stress. In other words, their cash flow is insufficient to cover the rent plus everything else they want to spend money on. And that's an all-time high, and you can see how that's grown very significantly in recent years. Mortgage stress is sitting at 50.3% of households, and we're seeing this sitting at a high plateau, not least because people have been able to refinance, and in some cases, incomes have moved up a little, while mortgage rates have eased back just a tad for some. And by the way, the RBA is still reporting the debt-to-income ratio is very high, and of course, much higher than it was if you go back a couple of decades. So in other words, people are spending more of their income on getting their mortgage payments done. So let's look at the February 2024 information. And this is displayed across each of the states. And we also look at it from mortgage stress, rental stress, investor stress, and financial stress. I'll just make the point that we're going to spend most of our time looking at the percentages because uh, whilst I told you that the count is important, the percentages also give some indication of some of the changes. And here in yellow, I've highlighted where the percentage has gone up. The light blue is where they've gone down. And we can see there that mortgage stress has risen in the ACT, Northern Territories, and in Tasmania. It is back very slightly in New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, and Victoria, and also in Western Australia. And there was actually no change ultimately from last month. And as I say, that's partly because people are able to refinance. Others, by the way, are also paying down their mortgage ahead of time because they've still got excess cash. Now, if you look at the rental stress, the rental stress story is that there was a rising rental stress in the Northern Territory. Also in Queensland, in South Australia and Tasmania and in Western Australia. And overall, rental stress rose to a new high of 73.68%. And by the way, that translates to 2.27 million households struggling with paying their rents. Investor stress rose pretty much across the board. So this is where property investors are trying to get returns on their property. And the problem is here that the costs of owning the rental investment property are rising, but the ability to put the rents up are getting capped because those with rents don't have the ability to pay necessarily more. In fact, Queensland was the main exception alongside Western Australia, where there was a slight fall. And overall, 22.95% of investors are stressed, but that's only 666,000. If we aggregate that all up to financial stress, we can see there that the highest levels of financial stress are actually lurking in the ACT, perhaps surprisingly, followed by New South Wales at 52.72%, and then down to Victoria at 47%. Tasmania is at 43%, and the Northern Territory is somewhat lower, but higher. Whereas there was a source fall in Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, and overall 48.61% of households are registering negative cash flow, which translates to 4.7 million households, just slightly below half. If we then look at the 
same information but cut now by our main segments, we can see there that the average mortgage stress percentage is highest among young growing families and also among the battling urban. They're on the outer fringes of our cities. And you can also see there that the disadvantaged fringe also show up too. Now, first-time buyers, of course, lurk mostly in the young growing family segment. So many of those are actually first-time buyers who've bought into the market when prices are high and when incomes are compressed. Quite a few of them also bought two or three years ago when interest rates were a lot lower and when the government, both state and federal, were throwing incentives at first-time buyers. But you can see that other segments are also experiencing levels of mortgage stress too. And in fact, the largest count of those with mortgage stress are actually in the disadvantaged fringe segment. So again, on the suburban outskirts of our major cities, many of whom bought home and land packages or other newer property. If we look at the rental stress, the highest rental stress sits with the multicultural establishment. That's the first generation Australians, the migrants who've come in recently at 83%. And then the mature stable families at 81%. And if we look at the highest count of rental stress, we can see there that 372,000 are in the suburban mainstream group and 304,000 are the mature stable families. There are also a considerable number of young growing families who also have a significant issue. If we look at investor stress, we can see that the more affluent households, the exclusive professionals and the young affluent, have the highest proportion of investor stress, and that's because they hold significantly more investment properties relative to other segments. And overall, the financial stress is highest among young growing families across all of the aggregated analysis that we've done at 68.95%, and that translates to just over 500,000 young growing families. And 59.08% of the battling urban group, which is 249,000. But overall, the highest financial stress count sits among the disadvantaged fringe, those on the outskirts of our major cities at 52%. If we then look at the postcodes with the highest level of mortgage stress, and this is sorted in the count of households, the postcode with the highest count of just over 12,300 households is in postcode 2170 Liverpool in New South Wales. And then we go to postcode 3064, Roxburgh Park in Victoria, with again over 12,000 households. And then back to New South Wales to Campbelltown, 2560, with just under 12,000. And then we go up to Toowoomba, 4350 in regional Queensland. And then to Western Australia, 6065, which includes Hocking, Wanneroo and Tapping. And then postcode 3029, in Victoria, including Hoppers Crossing and Tarnit. And then back to Camden in New South Wales, 2570. Narrow Warren in Victoria, 3805. Regional postcode 3350, Ballarat. And then 3806, Berwick and Harkaway in Victoria. And Pakenham, 3810 in Victoria. And then back to Riverston and Marsden Park in New South Wales, 2765. And Pine Mountain and a number of other areas around there too, 
0.06. If we jump across then to rental stress, the postcode with the highest count of rental stress is the centre of Melbourne, postcode 3000, with more than 14,000 households in rental stress. Then we go up to Toowoomba, 4350. Then back to Liverpool, 2170. And then postcode 4215, which includes Labrador and Southport. And then back to New South Wales, postcode 2017, Waterloo and Zetland. Then back to Campbelltown, 2560. And then back to postcode 3030 in Victoria, including Dermot and Point Cook. And then back to New South Wales, postcode 2770, which includes Mount Druitt and Minchinbury. And then back to Wentworthville, 2145, again in New South Wales. To Coomera, 4209 in Queensland. Parramatta in New South Wales, 2150. Tarnit and Hoppers Crossing, Victoria, 3029. Yatala in Queensland, 4207. Ipswich, 4305. Cranbourne in Victoria, 3977. Blacktown in New South Wales, 2148. And then Gosford, 2250, north of Sydney. Now, if we look at stressed investors, postcode 2065, including Crow's Nest and Greenwich, have the highest count. And then Wentworthville in New South Wales at 2145. Kingsgrove in New South Wales, 2208. And Croydon Park in New South Wales, 2133. And that is simply because the costs of owning investment property are significantly higher than the ability to put the rents up. Melbourne postcode 3000 comes next. Then we go to postcode 4215 Labrador up in Queensland. Western Australian postcode 6010. Then the Fortitude Valley in Queensland 4006, including Newstead. And then Western Australian postcode 6050, including Mount Lawley. Back to Victorian postcode 3977 in Cranbourne. Then back to New South Wales, including Surrey Hills and Darlinghurst, postcode 2010. And then DY 2099, Randwick in New South Wales, 2031. And then Bundaberg up in Queensland, 4670. Hornsbury, New South Wales, 2077. Little Mountain in Queensland at 4551. And Upper Coomera in Queensland, 4209. And then if we look at the financial stress, this is the aggregate. The postcode with the highest level of cash flow stress across the country is postcode 4350, Toowoomba, followed by Liverpool in New South Wales, 2170, Campbelltown, 2560, Roxburgh Park in Victoria, 3064, Tarnit and Hobbs Crossing, 3029 in Victoria, Cranbourne, 3977, Centre of Melbourne, 3000, and then postcode 3030, including Point Cook and Derrimont. Then back to New South Wales, postcode 2770, Mount Druitt, Minchinbury, and other areas around there. Then Ballarat, 3350, Labrador and Southport, 4215, Ipswich, 4305, Blacktown, 2148, Belbird Park, 4300, Beckenham in Western Australia, 6107, Wentworthville, 2145, Tapping, 6065 in Western Australia, Pakenham in Victoria, 3810, 4209 Coomera in Queensland, and Gosford, 2250. Now, let me just make this point. Whilst the profile of those postcodes might be different, a lot of them are high-growth corridors, a lot of new development, 
a lot of recent purchasers, a lot of people with young growing families, and often with limited ability because the costs of living where they are are very high thanks to lack of infrastructure and a lot of transportation costs. Now, let me just talk briefly about mortgage delinquencies because there was this article which made the point that mortgage arrears have charged higher at the fastest rate for nearly two years in January, as lenders warned that stubborn high inflation will keep pressure on households and on the Reserve Bank to hold rates. This is data reported in Bloomberg. And they made the point that delinquencies are most acute in Western Australia, mirroring data from ratings agency S&P, distributed earlier in the week. And they do make the point that inflation will be a little bit more resistant than the market is expecting. And the fact of the matter is that whether you're looking at investors or own occupiers, there's a bit of a problem, which takes me to my latest default analysis. So this is a projection of where defaults will be highest. I've sorted them again by the risk of default. And you can see here that the postcode with the highest risk over the next 12 months, according to my analysis, is Victorian postcode 3977 Cranbourne. But then we go across to postcode 6210, that's south of Perth, including Mandra. And the story there is that prices went up quite a few years ago, fell significantly, and are only moving up. Quite a few people are in negative equity and struggling with cash flow. Then we go back to Victorian postcode 3029, Hoppers Crossing and Tunnet. And then Western Australian postcode success 6164, including South Lake and Hammond Park. And then we go to postcode 6112 at Armadale in Western Australia, back to Victorian postcode 3064 at Roxburgh Park. And then Gosford postcode 2250, Queensland postcode 4211, including Pacific Pines and then postcode 3030, including Dermont and Point Cook. And then Toowoomba, postcode 4350. Tapping and Wanneroo, postcode 6065. Back to Queensland, postcode 4740, including Mount Pleasant. And then postcode 4740, Mackay. Queensland, postcode 4670, Millbank and Queensland postcode 4209, Coomera and Upper Coomera. Now, briefly, let's just talk about our scenarios. Scenarios are a way of exploring different futures. They're not predictions, they're not forecasts, but they're showing you the relative sensitivities. Now, none of these scenarios will turn out to be right. Things change, but it does drive the core market models. And we run the scenarios forward from today. And if we look at the scenarios, scenario one is that rates stay at 4.35%, but fall through the second half of 2024 as inflation eases a bit faster than the RBA expectations. Remember, the RBA is not expecting to be in band until 2025. We don't see a recession in Australia. Migration remains pretty hot. The base case of the soft landing scenario is that rates stay at 4.35% through to the end of 2024. Inflation falls, but then rises a little bit because of wages growth and also higher input costs. And it stays above target until 2025, which is in line with the RBA. We don't get a recession in Australia, but migration falls to around average, which you could say perhaps is a bit unlikely. 
And the worst case, the nightmare scenario is that rates rise above 4.35%, which will give mortgage rates probably above 7%. And they're going to stay high through 24 along with inflation, but unemployment rises, wages growth stalls due to recessionary forces here, and then rates are cut, probably too late, and migration drops away. And that gives you some very different results in terms of the sensitivity. So if we look at the average aggregate based on our three scenarios for houses and units, in the best case scenario, there is a story of further home price rises over the next three years, maybe up to 7.5%. On the other hand, in our base case scenario, it looks more likely a fall over the next 12 months, maybe 3 or 4% but an aggregate fall of perhaps 12% over three years. And the worst case scenario, probably very unlikely, but if things go really pear-shaped, there could be a considerable fall. If we then look at units, pretty much tracks close, but the falls for units are not quite as severe. And even in the worst case scenario, over the next 12 months, perhaps a fall of 8%. But there are some considerable variations. If you look at Tasmania, where prices have been falling quite freely in recent times, even in the best case scenario, our view is that prices will probably continue to drift lower for houses. The base case would be a more considerable drop and the worst case would be a very considerable drop. And units follow quite closely, but not quite so dramatically, particularly in the worst case scenario. On the other hand, if you look at Western Australian prices, well, they are more likely to continue to rise in the best case, we could see a rise of up to 18% over the next three years. The best case is a small fall over three years. The worst case is a drop of perhaps 21% over three years. If you're looking at units, not quite so much a rise, but still up. Pretty much the same on the best case and not quite such a significant fall in the worst case scenario. Oh, and we might just look at one segment, young growing families. The best case for houses is sideways over the next three years. The base case is a significant fall. And the worst case is a more significant fall. And units pretty much follow on, although the falls are not quite so significant when it comes to the more severe scenarios. Now, just a quick update. This is an example of the information that we have at a postcode level. And this is the level of information we'll be exploring in our live stream in a couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. And I will, of course, remind you that there is a real question here about to what extent the central bank or anybody else can do much about what's going on. The chances are interest rates will stay higher for longer, even if they come back a little by the end of the year. Wages growth is still relatively benign relative to the costs of living, which are much higher than reported in the CPI numbers. And therefore, my expectation is that we're going to see further rent rises for many. Mortgage costs will stay high. And that means that we're going to see considerable pressure among households over the next few months and maybe the next couple of years. So it's very important that households get their budgets under control. And one of the things I'm surprised about in our surveys, only half of households have any sort of cash flow measure. So if you don't know where the money's coming in and where it's going, it's probably worth spending some time to do that. And there are some tools the ASX Money Smart website provides 
significant help. I also make the point, of course, that if you are in financial flow difficulty, then it is worth talking to some professionals to help and be careful of going online and just doing a Google search. The National Debt Helpline on 1-800-007-007 is a government-backed scheme which can help and they are very effective at picking apart the problem and helping people to deal with the difficulties. One of the frustrations I have is that if you talk to the bank, and you should talk to the bank if you've got a mortgage, sooner rather than later, they may well offer solutions, including extending the term of the loan or going interest only. But of course, that puts greater costs on households over the longer term. And like I say, I don't think this is going to get fixed anytime soon. We have a lack of supply of the right types of property. We have the government interventions that are pushing prices in the wrong direction. And of course, we have lenders desperate to lend. And for those with good enough incomes, of course, there's great appetite for buying more property. And of course, high migration. A lot of the issues are being created by too high migration. And there was a recent report suggesting it could be even a million people have come in over the last year and wherever where it should be. So the bottom line is this. We're not going to see any government interventions to magically solve the housing problem. This is going to be down to individuals muddling through and dealing with cash flow, prioritising effectively where the money is going and where it's coming in. And of course, making sure that you don't dig a deeper hole by getting even more debt. I am concerned by the number of people who are using short term loans or even buy now, pay later to get by. That is fraught with issues. So the bottom line is this. The latest information once again confirms that many households are in difficulty. There are no easy shortcuts, but there are things that individual households can do to alleviate some of the immediate pressure. And in a way, that's not a bad thing because I think households need to take accountability for their own situation. But I also think there's a very important role for government, which at the moment is not being effective. And as Tarek Brooker and I discussed the other day, there are things which could be done, but they probably won't be. I'm Martin North from Digital Finance and the Listings. Many thanks for watching, and I'll see you again next time.